The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Some reason I thought today was Father's Day. Somebody told me it was next Sunday. Tells you where my head's at, right? Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful day that you've given us. And again, to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ in your house, in the house of prayer, as we study your word and worship your name. And ask you that you be with us in your spirit, with us in your Holy Spirit, that you visit each heart. You see, there's so much sorrow, there's sorrow, there's so much uh, hurt. But there's also your word that gives us encouragement and how we can move on. And I ask that you bless the study today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, take your Bibles and turn to chapter 2, if you will. We're in chapter 2, finally. And we're only going to spend two weeks here because there's two main themes in chapter 2. So when we think of attributes of God, when you think of God, uh, what, what do you think of as far as his characteristics? You know, sometimes we think holiness, we think justice, we think wisdom, we think other things, sovereignty, his love, his grace, his mercy, and I'm sure you can add more to the list. But there is one attribute of God that we don't very often talk about, but yet it's throughout all the scripture. It is that God is 100% impartial in his dealings with people. God is absolutely, totally impartial in dealing with people. And in that way, he's entirely unlike us. We're very partial. We tend to put everyone in some kind of category. We have lower class, higher class people. It may have something to do with their looks. may have something to do with their wardrobe, the kind of car they drive, the kind of house they live in, how their yard looks, uh, social status, maybe even race, uh, outward characteristics. But all those issues are non-issues with God person's education level, person's status, person's looks, wardrobe, earthly honor, let's say, right? And how many followers you got on Facebook or Instagram. All those things are collectively and individually are non-issues. In 2 Chronicles 19.7, it says this. This is when King Joseph out of Judah reminded his judges. When he appointed judges, he reminded them of this. Now, therefore, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, no partiality, nor taking of bribes. We also read in Deuteronomy ten seventeen. it says this, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. So he's describing our God as mighty and awesome. And then he says, Who shows no partiality nor takes bribes. But almost all of us walk around with, let's say, these unpublished lists in our minds of desirables and undesirables. Right? We used to prefer to be some people prefer to be with some educated folks because they don't want to be around non-educated people. Some people want to be always around the young people. They don't care about the aged. Uh, most of us want to be around people, let's face it, just exactly like us, right? But what we need to understand is we don't have to be twins to be brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't. How can we exclude from our lives or we hold friendship from those that God has accepted? 
Do you think when we get to heaven, there's going to be like a Russian section, Chinese section, you know, whites, blacks? The way we behave towards people indicates what we truly believe about God. We cannot and dare not separate the human relationship from divine fellowship. We cannot. And John, 1 John 4.20, clear, clear as day, says, If someone says, I love God, and hates, hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, he's in front of you, how can they love God who he has not seen? And the main issue with us is we don't know how to love unconditionally. We're pretty much like this poems I'm about to read. Paul's girl is rich and haughty. My girl is poor as clay. Paul's girl is young and pretty. Mine looks like a bale of hay. Pearls, Paul's girl is smart and clever. My girl is dumb but good. Would I trade my girl for Paul? You bet your life I would. We don't know how to love unconditionally. And we all know how to show, show favoritism. So that's why I want to talk about today the subject of show no partiality. So let's turn to James 2 and we'll read the first 13 verses. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come an assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and you say to him, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit there here at my footstool, have you not shown partiality among yourselves to become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith, in heirs of kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress and drag you into the courts? Do not they blaspheme the noble name which you are called? If you really fulfilled the royal law according to the scripture... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin. And you are convicted by the law of transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble at one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do, as those who will be judged by the law liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So what James wrote was nothing new to the Jewish leader, to the Jewish reader. And before Moses died, he schooled Israel in the book of Deuteronomy. And if we go back to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 117, he says this, you shall now you shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid in any man's presence, for judgment is God's. The case that is too hard, you bring to me, and I will hear it. And then in Deuteronomy 16, 19, we find these words, You shall not pervert justice. You should not show partiality, nor take a bribe. For bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the swords of the righteous. James wanted to remind these scattered Jews as well as us, how to practice God's word. So he gave him another simple test. He sent two people to a church service, a rich man and a poor man, and he watched how they would be treated. 
So in James, James verse 1, it says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. That little phrase literally means to receive faith. It carries the idea of accepting in a person based on just on their outward appearance. It shows favoritism. It shows partiality. It means it shows partiality on basis of wealth, basis of power, basis of influence. He says, do not be guilty of this sin. He means that don't judge the person by their appearance. You see, remember when God rejected Saul, and he told Samuel to go and anoint another king. You see, the problem Saul had was, uh, I'm sorry, Samuel had was, Saul actually looked like a king. He was handsome. You can find read the book of Samuel. He was handsome. He was a head taller than all his people. So if you picture a king, it'll, it'll be Saul. So now God says, go over here and anoint these people. So he's, no, this guy's not it. This guy's not it. And he starts to worry. They don't look like kings. What are we doing here? But look what, what God says to Samuel. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, he says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not. Do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have refused him. He's talking about Saul. For the Lord does not see as man sees, nor man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He said, I don't care if he looks like a king or not. I refused him. And sometimes we look at the certain person because of his economic status or the way he's dressed, the way he looks. We look upon him and we judge him. Everybody's been guilty of that. I've been guilty of that. Come on, be honest with yourself. You know, some of you looking at me probably like, where is he wearing a suit today? Well, I wanted to put our rushes to the test and see if I get any treatment, you know, special treatment. I did not. Now, if we treat some people, we might treat them with flattery, right? We say, because they're very affluent looking or they seem intelligent or witty, charming, whatever it is. And we may flatter that person as well. But if he looks a certain way, we can be a little snobby to him. We can, we can reject him based on his appearance. We just look at it and say, I like this, I don't like that. And we do it not because of some particular reason. We just look at a person and just do it. doesn't necessarily, we just jump to conclusions, Right? And somebody once said the only way some of us exercise our minds is by jumping to conclusions. There are people who just simply look at something and say, at a person. Now, I'm not talking about if you like oranges, bananas, or whatever. I'm talking about people. You look at them and say, I like him. I don't like him. No particular reason. Just the way he looks. And when we do that, the Bible calls that respects of person, calls that being partiality. And when we have respects of person, we flatter them. Or we might be gossiping about some others. Simply how they appear to us. Now, somebody said the difference between gossip and flattery is this. Flattery is somewhat what we say to someone's face, what we don't say behind their back. And gossip is what we say behind their back and we don't say to their face. And both are wrong. Both are wrong. And so if we're in a business of flattering and fawning over the rich or cultured or whenever you're in business criticizing, gossiping about the poor down and out, you are wrong in God's sight. And that's what he's trying to teach us. And we need to realize the damage that it does to the kingdom of God when we act this way. So right away, he starts with prohibition. He prohibits it. Verse 1 says, 
do not hold the faith. So what's the problem with it? So let's look at verses 2 to 4. James 2 to 4. For if there should come an assembly, a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes, and you say to him, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand there, sit in my footstool, you, have you not shown partiality among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? You know, back then, this, the good seat even had a footstool for somebody. So this man is getting such a good seat, he even can kick his legs up. But yet the poor man tells him, you can sit over there or over there. It doesn't matter if he gets a good seat or not. So what's the problem? You become judges with evil thoughts. Verse 4. So we're talking about the problem here. And the first thing I want you to notice is the appearance of men who come to church. First of all, here comes this, we'll call him Mr. Goldfingers. He has a gem at every joint, nugget at every knuckle. He's just a very, very wealthy person back then. That's how people realized if they were wealthy or not. They had rings on their fingers. So here comes Mr. Goldfingers. He's coming to church. Everybody sees him coming. They open the door, and everybody's impressed. Here he comes. Who is he? Look at that man. He must be somebody important. Make way. Let's make a good seat for him. So the usher shows a lot of respect for him. Simply the way he looks. Now James, I want to make, we'll talk about this too, but James does not criticize the wealthy man for being wealthy. He is criticizing the ushers and the members of the church being partial to him. A lot of people think it's so important on how you look, you know, how they're really cognizant about what you look and what you, how you come to church. Now, a woman asked her husband when they got home and she said, did you notice Ms. Jones had on this morning? He said, I, no, I did not notice. He just said, did you see what Ms. Smith, Ms. Smith's new dress? He said, no, I didn't see Ms. Smith's new dress. He said, well... What good does it do for you to go to church? You never get anything out of it anyway. We're so aware of what other people are wearing instead of coming and pay attention to the Word of God, how they appear. Now comes this other man. He's a poor man, and the usher sees him. Well, obviously, he's not worth very much. He's got on what the Bible calls filthy clothes. He's dirty clothes. Maybe he was a laboring man. Maybe he just got off of the assembly line coming in to prayer. He's got dirt under his fingernails. Maybe his shoes aren't shine. But you need to remember, he is someone whom Jesus died for. Someone from whom Jesus died. So we can never judge a jewel based because it comes in the plain box. He's a soul whom Jesus loves. But this usher looks at him. Doesn't make a difference if he gets a seat or not. There's nothing we can potentially get out of him. Stand over there. And what happens? We dishonored the poor. And that person's spirit is crushed. The spirit is wounded. And the damage is done. You think that person's going to come back to church? No one treats that way. I was reading about Muhammad. Uh, everybody knows Gandhi, right? The Hindu leader. Well, I was reading about him and how he started out. He was searching for a philosophy that, to help his Indian people. He 
They would search in some way to reach the people of India because they were such a burden. And he started to study different faiths. And he came and studied Christianity and said, I believe Christianity. This is a true story. Christianity is the way. Christianity is what the Indian people need. So he decided to go to church. But he got stopped by Asher, just like James tells us. And he said, I'm sorry, sir. This church is for Europeans only. And turned him away. He turned out to be the great leader of Hindu people. But imagine if he was that kind of a leader for Christianity, what he could have done in India with Christianity. Now, this no way removes him from the responsibility of accepting Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. But because somebody looked at his face and said, this church is for Europeans only. So the attitude of the usher. James uh, 3 says, And you pay attention to the wearing one fine clothes. You say to him, sit here, good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand there, sit here at my footstool. He made a mistake that many of us in American churches make. Indulgence of the rich and indifference to the poor. But we need to understand it is inconsistent with, inconsistent with Christ's teaching. It results from evil thoughts. It insults the people. Why? Because all people are made in the, image, in the image of God. We're all made in the image of God. So the byproduct of this is selfish motives. It goes against the biblical definition of love. It shows lack of mercy to those less fortunate. And most importantly, it is a sin. It is a sin. David declares in Psalm 41.1, he says this, Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. In other words, if you take care of the poor, God will take care of you because you reflect his heart. Let me read some couple of scriptures for you. Proverbs 17.5, He who mocks the poor reapproaches his maker. He who is glad and will not go unpunished. If you're happy because somebody else is suffering, you go unpunished. Whoever shunts, Proverbs 21, 13, 13 says, Whoever sh shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. Proverbs 28, 27 says, He who gives the, to the poor will not lack. He who gives to the poor will not lack. But he who hides his eye will have many curses. We disdain the poor. We fail to help meet their needs. We disdain God himself. Do we understand that? As believers, we have been reborn with this God's nature, and we are to reflect his great love and care for those in need. This is in the essence of who we are. And otherwise, it's contrary to our own new nature and the nature of God. So what does God say? In James 2.4, he says, You have not shown partiality among yourselves, and you become judges with evil signs. It means, literally, you set one person in one category, another person in another category. But we all people are precious in the sight of God. And if we haven't learned that, if you haven't learned that all people, even sinners, are precious in sight of God, you haven't learned the basics of Christianity. Now, the Bible does not say there's not to be any seniority. Let me clear that up. There's seniority in the church. The Bible speaks of those who labored long in doctrine. The Bible speaks of those who proven their lives, living the kind of right life. The Bible says in Romans 13, 7, I believe, it says, honor the ones who deserve honor. 
though even in Leviticus, Moses, uh, the Lord commanded through uh, Moses in Leviticus 19.32, he says, You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man, and fear God, I am the Lord. Show respect to the elderly. 1 Thessalonians 5.12.13 says, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.17, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. The Romans 13.1-5, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authorities except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not the terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do you what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good, but not for evil. Be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. So it's not to say there is no authority in the church. God sets some authority. And don't think that there's no spiritual authority in any church. There's seniority. There's authority. But here's where there is none. There's no superiority. Nobody's above anybody else. We're different to appointment. We're different to calling as to job. But in the New Testament church, in the New Testament church, everybody is somebody when Christ is Lord. If Christ is Lord of our church, everybody here is somebody. We've got different functions, but everybody is somebody when Christ is Lord. And the Bible teaches the worth of every individual. According to the Bible, all people are equally precious in the sight of God. God loves everyone. There are no good people and there are no better people according to God. And Proverbs 28, 21 says, to show partiality is no good. You see, faith is something that every person can experience. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your status in life. It doesn't matter your education or your economic condition. Anybody that wants to be saved can be saved. You come to Christ. In Proverbs 22, 2, we read, the rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. We have this in common. I like the King James Version better. It says the rich and poor meet together. We're all very different backgrounds here. We meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. What does that mean? You see, when a person comes to Christ, they become a member of God's family. Someone said, and I believe this is true, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're all, we're all level. There's no respects of persons to God. There's no respects of persons in Christian faith. It's inconsistent with God. It's inconsistent with Christ himself. Romans 2.11 clearly says, for there is no partiality with God. God does not show favorites, neither did Jesus. During his earthly ministry, and Mark 12, 14 says, when they had come, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one, for you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. It's lawful.
to pay taxes to Caesar or not. They're trying to catch him, but they came to him with the truth. These are the Pharisees and Herodians. They knew he was not showing any partiality. We noticed, watched you, we noticed you don't show partiality to anyone. Jesus treated everybody the same. Just because they didn't have a lot, he didn't look them down. And because they had more, he didn't give them any special treatment. Remember the name Nicodemus came to him at night in John 3? Well, he was a very wealthy man. He was a wealthy man. Pharisees were wealthy. He's sitting there talking. He says, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Here's a teacher of Israel. Remember, he had an MI, Master of Israel. You don't care. You need to be born again. You need to get that B.A. Remember the rich rung, rung ruler? He said, what do I got to do to be saved? I did all these things. Sell it all. Give it to the poor. Pick up your cross and carry and follow me. As we read, for the Lord does not see as the man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What's the position of the poor? What is the position of the poor? That's the third thing I want to talk about. Talk about prohibition, problem with the partiality. I want us to look at position of the poor. In verse 5, it says, listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? There's three things that said about the poor here speaks of the position. Three things. First of all, they're chosen of God. He's not saying it's good to be poor and it's bad to be rich. He's not saying the poor will be the only one saved. Everybody in this room is rich compared to the rest of the world, you could say. It doesn't make any difference. But aren't you glad that, you know, God didn't check your checkbook or your savings account before he saved you? It has nothing to do with it. Abraham Lincoln said, God must love common people. He made so many of them. Many of us are common people. And God loves the poor. God loves the common. As a matter of fact, divine plan, if you look at the scripture, most of his plan he carried out through regular fishermen, the poor. Turn with me in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 26. Uh, well, I want to read a couple of verses to you. And keep this verse 26 in mind. We'll come back to it. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, that not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. God says, I have deigned and chosen the ordinary people so that when the work is done, flesh don't get the glory. He does. And God takes the weak, make them, makes them into witnesses. God takes the base, turns them into believer. God takes the despised and makes the disciples out of them. God takes nobodies and makes them into nobilities. That's God's plan. So the first thing, they're chosen of God. Second thing is they're rich in faith. You see, the rich man has a tendency to trust his money. We do. And I think I shared it with you when 
I was eating hot dogs and ramen noodles, and I prayed a lot more. And when I started eating steak here and there, my prayer life kind of went down. I shared that with you a while ago, and that's what happens. Do you rely on things? And I think I shared with you in Russia, uh, you know, some people that are in California right now, some of my relatives, we took four to five buses just to get to church. And my parents did it three to four times a week. Now in America, we have four to five cars in the driveway, and we can't even make it to church once a week. Why? We're wealthy. We don't need God anymore. See, in Soviet Union, you had to stay in line to get some piece of bread. Now you can just go get bread, whatever. You're rich. You don't have to do that. People have a tendency to rely on those things. And again, he says in verse 5, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? How rich will those people be? The poor, when they enter the kingdom of heaven. Psalm 31, 11 says, 37, 11 says, But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in abundance of peace. I'm telling you, friend, you've been, we need to be careful when we kind of deal with the poor. You don't know what they're going to be in the next life. You don't know what God's plans are for them in the next life. I also read about a missionary. His name is Dorian Judson. He was a missionary to Burma. He spent 12 years, 12 years out there. He didn't give up. He only had 18 converts. 12 years, only 18 converts. So he prayed, he witnessed, and instead of people coming to God, he was thrown in prison. He was beaten, thrown, and they said, so what do you think now? You know, what, what are your plans now about converting the heathen to the God? You know, now you're in you're jail. You're going to rot away. And he said, my future is bright as the God's promises. My future is bright as God's promises. Any poor man that has Jesus can say that. My future is bright as the promises of God. So James is very plain. He speaks of prohibitions. He speaks problems. And he speaks of the position of poor. And then I want to take a look at persecution. By the rich. In verses 6 and 7 it says, But you have dishonored the poor man, and do not rich oppress you and drag you into the courts. Do they not blaspheme the noble name which you are called? It speaks of the persecution the rich people sometimes do to the poor. And what James is talking about here is the wealthy ruling class, they persecuted the church, and they did. You see, the Christianity took off largely by People of the streets, the ignorant, the uneducated, the common people, unlettered. But the Bible tells us Jesus was kind of preacher and teacher that where common people heard him gladly. But the rich and wealthy, they rejected Christ. And I just want to look at three main reasons here. You see, first of all, it hit their position. It hit their position. I mean, some of us, you know, when I'm talking partiality, some of you may be looking here and say, kind of saying like, yeah, you know, you all want to feel a little superior than the other people. I'm not like him or I'm a little higher than that person. You see, Pilate is a good example. He, his position was hit. He knew Jesus was innocent. All kinds of things were said to Pilate about Jesus. But what made 
Jesus, I mean, Pilate go along with him? What, what, what made, he said, if you don't allow us to crucify Jesus, you're not Caesar's friend. That settled it. Pilate had a position. Who buttered his bread? Caesar. So he took sides. He took sides against Christ and his followers. Number two, it hits their pocketbook. It hits their pocketbook. So there were rich who rejected the gospel because of economics. In the uh, book of Acts 19, we're going to turn there, but there's, uh, remember there's Ephesus, there, Paul and Silas went to preach there against uh, the, the, the Diana, the, the God of Diana in Ephesus. And if we turn to uh, Acts 19.27, and they were concerned about, so not only is our trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great God is the enemy, despised, the magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and world worship. So, you know, uh, Paul is out there preaching, and these guys were creating little idols and so forth. Now people are not buying them. People don't want them. We don't need idols. Now all their little business is in, is in, they're not making any money. But I really want to look, a good example of that is in Acts 16, and we're going to look at 16 through 22. This is the story of demon-possessed girl Paul healed and the wealthy people who were in charge here. Acts 16, 16. Now it happened as went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of deviation met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. So she was bringing them a lot of profit. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. So she's telling them the truth. And she did this for many days, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said in the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. So, spirit's gone. But when the, her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace through the authorities. See, they were... They were doing this for lots of days. She was following him, clearly says it in the scripture, for lots of days. They didn't care about it. But as soon as their pocketbook was hit, they didn't even pay attention when she was saying, these servants of Most High proclaimed the way of salvation. They didn't pay attention to that. But what they did pay attention to is that it hit their pocketbook. And then in verse 20, and they brought them to magistrate and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful to us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multiple uh, rose up together against them, and magistrates tore off their clothes and commended them to be with rods. So, if they were proclaiming this for days, why was it an issue on day one? Why is it now an issue? Because it hit their pocketbook. And the third position is that it hits, it hits their pride. It hits their pride. The reason so many people want money is not to help people, but to be elevated above other people. But here comes the gospel. Here comes the gospel and says, we're both nothing but the Lord Jesus Christ. When God looks at you, it's not the blue book of society. It's not the finance or bank note that you have. It doesn't make any difference. 
But you see, when a proud person hears another praised, he, he sees himself injured. He's injured. And we tend to put men in different levels, like I said before. Middle class, high class, lower class. But God divides people vertically. I mentioned that before. The goats, the sheep, the saints, the ain'ts, the saved and the lost. That's it. That's the way God divides. But you see, a person worked all his life. He accomplished something earthly. And we put him up here. And all of a sudden, the gospel says, you're just like everybody else. So the rich began to reject this gospel over Lord Jesus Christ. And they began to persecute the poor. And when he says they began to persecute, they were blaspheming the God. Why is that? Remember when Paul was rode to Damascus, he was persecuting the church, and he was stopped in Acts 22.7, and it fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It was Paul at the time, it was Saul, but I could just hear him. I don't know who you are, but I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting the Christians. What have I ever done to you? But Matthew 25.40 says this, and the king will answer and say to them, Surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Did it to one of the brethren, you did it to me. So somebody might say, well, you're being a little harsh on the rich. <laughs> I don't mean to be. Uh, as a matter of fact, I found uh, that generally in the church, the people who are better off will rise in the place of leadership. Do you know why? Same principles that made them rich. They'll be punctual. They'll think things through. They'll follow up and the rest of it. But what James would not say here is, you know, put down the poor. And James certainly would not say, put down the rich man. What James is saying here is, don't elevate one person above another. Don't put down the poor and don't put down the rich. You can be just as guilty of being impartial to to, to the rich. You look down on them. Oh, look at the car he's driving. He's just showing off. Be happy. God bless them. Great. Awesome. You know, there was a woman of wealth, and she was a culture. She was very wealthy, and she said, I was saved by the M. And somebody said, what do you mean I was saved by the M? And go back to the 1 Corinthians 1.26. This is what I was meaning. It says, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. So she says, it doesn't say not any wise, <laughs> not any mighty, not any noble. So she said, I was saved by them. And thank God for many of those who are wealthy, who are noble, who are fine people, who love the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what I found with those people? Their wealth is committed to the cause of Christ. There are plenty of uh, early Christians, members, that were wealthy in, in Christ's day. When Jesus died and needed to be put in the tomb, whose tomb did they go to? Joseph or Arimathea. He was a rich man. He had a brand new grave that, where they put him. Nicodemus came with all the necessary uh, alloys and hundreds of pounds. They brought linen. Poor people couldn't afford that. They're the ones that played a big role in the burial of Lord Jesus Christ. 
Remember the eunuch of uh, Ethiopia? Where he was converted by Philip? He was a very wealthy man. He had Queen's uh, Candace's all treasury. He was in charge of it. There's many, many, many rich people. You go to the Old Testament, right? Job, richest man. It's not wrong to be rich, but you should not rely on your riches. All of them are given to you by God, and all of them can be taken away, just like with Job. He was rich. He was poor. But he relied on God, then he was even richer. And Paul writes to Timothy and says in 1 Timothy 6.17, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. And folks, I really long for, to be in a church where everybody is somebody. Where it doesn't matter if you're a doctor or you're a lawyer or you're some financial person or whoever, where we, people just come and say there's something different about this, folks. Something different. There's no impartiality. doesn't matter. And I said it before, where everybody's somebody and Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, there's a story of a little fellow who was walking home and walked many miles to go to a certain church. church. And he walked past, past many churches. And somebody asked him, why do you go to that church? You got several churches here that you can go to. And he said, because they love a fellow over there. They love a fellow over there. Another little boy was bragging about his friend that he just met. He, still was, he was so happy that he's his friend, and he was telling his mama about it. And his mama said, well, what's so great about him? He says, he treats me like I'm people. Treats me like I'm people. So everybody is somebody when Jesus Christ is Lord. And finally, I want to mention the principles for proper practice. If you're really, in James 2, uh, verses 8 through 13, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourselves and you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin. And you're convicted by the law of transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble at one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law or liberty. For judgment is without mercy to those who have shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, in the beginning of the sermon, I said uh, Moses schooled Israel from the book of Deuteronomy. James, that's all he did. He repeated what was written in books of Deuteronomy, also Exodus. But why this Bible called this the royal law? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why is, it, why is he calling it the royal law here? Because it's the king of all laws. It's king of all laws. It's the royal law. Romans 13.10 says, Love does not harm to neighbor. Therefore, love, love is fulfillment of the law. So you see, friend, when you have love in your heart, you're not going to be partial among yourselves. How many... Laws do you have to break to become a lawbreaker? How many crimes do you have to commit to become a criminal? One. You ever seen a china shop says you break, you bought it? They don't care if you bought it, broke it in one spot or a thousand pieces. You broke it. You bought it. The law, on the other hand, says you are not to kill. So if you have killed, you've broken the law. 
Well, you say, well, I haven't killed, but he says, okay, but you committed adultery. So it doesn't matter. And I don't know why, but I think the, James chose the most serious of the social sins is because he wanted to illustrate the extreme sinfulness of partiality. He could have used any of the God's laws to make the same point. But he chose murder and, and, and the most serious of social sins. And it only takes breaking of one commandment to become a transgressor of the law. And we think favoritism is such a small sin, but James says, you're going to break the law. You're going to break the whole law. We need to understand it's love that reaches people. Have you ever argued any people into the kingdom of heaven? Have you ever seen any Jesus argue any his disciples to heaven? He looked at them and said, do you guys want to walk away? Feel free. That's the big difference. And the reason we confuse uh, this is we're having a hard time of accepting others is because we don't understand the difference between acceptance and approval. You can accept somebody without approving his or her lifestyle. He may be doing something totally contradictory to the Word of God, uh, but you can still accept him. He, you, you can accept him without approving their sin. And I'm talking about the unsaved right now. You know, I, I have many Catholic friends. Do I beat them upside the head all the time? No. I accept them. But sometimes when the opportunity arises, I, I, I share the gospel. You have to have tact. Jesus was a friend of sinners. That's what the Pharisees accused him of. Though he disapproved of their sins, it was not a compromise. It was compassion that caused him to welcome them. It was compassion. And when they trusted him, he forgave them. But to the saved, we're all equal in God's eyes. We're all his children. Galatians 3.26 says this, for for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. We're all the same. There's no distinction, distinction in the body of Christ. We're Christians. We're all in Christ. And that's why he says in verse 12, says, So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. We already covered this. He's referring to the word of God. Referred to as law of liberty. God's word is the book that sets us free. And we're going to be examined based on the law of liberty. And James 20, uh, 13 says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy, mercy triumphs over judgment. What he's talking about here is not how we get into heaven. He's, not talking, about, he's, he's talking about your examination, examination as a Christian at the judgment seat. Every detail of a life, even of a believer, will be examined. It doesn't mean it will determine if you get into heaven or not, but simply means that we're going to be examined by our behavior and how we treated other people. And the Bible says those who have judgment without mercy, who showed no mercy, will be the standard of God's examination for you. You didn't treat people all right, God will use that as examination and evaluation for us. Notice it says, mercy triumphs over judgment. That means it wins every time. And if you and I got what we deserve, we will go to hell. 
If you and I got what we would deserve, we'd go to hell. But this means that God, through Lord Jesus Christ, gives us mercy. When I stand before God, I don't want justice. I'll be honest. I want mercy. I want mercy. Now, it's easy for people to judge on the basis of the present moment. Look at things, of, but we need to look at things in light of eternity. Do you remember that, I'm not going to pull this up, but Luke uh, chapter 16 is the story of a poor man and a rich man that died and went to heaven. The other one went to hell. The Bible says the poor man had his dogs lick the sores of the poor man. The Bible says the poor man died and all of a sudden was radical transformation. There was a radical re- re- reversal from temporal, which is our life here, to eternal. He was on Abraham's bosoms and he was glories of the riches and wealth of heaven. Now the rich man died. It says they did a eulogy on him, how wonderful he was. And that's nothing wrong with that. All his temporal considerations, all the positives about the man. But in eternity, he was so poor. He was so poor that he was begging for a drop of water. And if there's a place where people should come and feel loved, it should be the house of God. It should be the house of God. There are people out there hungry in this world that need love. There are people who need just for somebody just to take interest in them. At least just be friendly to them. And if we expect God to be fair or impartial with us, we should be fair and impartial with others. Forgive others if we are to expect God's forgiveness. And if we don't, don't think you're just going to slide by. Colossians 3.25 says, But he who does wrong will be repaid of what he has done. And there is no partiality. But Matthew 6.14 says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If God looks at your life and says, Hey, he handled trials, temptations, everything that we talked about about this point. He obeyed the word. He welcomed the word. He didn't live a life of favoritism. That's evidence of your salvation. Remember Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand should we walk not in them. Genuine redemption produces obedient and holy living. In our life, living faith, that's the whole point of this book, will be demonstrated by a holy life. You know, there will be no rich people, there will be no poor people in heaven. Everyone will be rich in the things that matter eternally. Every believer will receive the same eternal life, have the same citizenship of the kingdom of God, same perfect, perfect righteousness of Christ imputed on them, both rich and poor are equal in God's sight. And partiality must not be shown to either. So while we do this, our pilgrimage here on earth, Romans 15, 5, 7 through says this, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you be like-minded toward one another according to Jesus Christ. Be like one mind. Talk less. Listen more. Come down. We need to do that. And then he says that you may be with one mind and one mouth of glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. 
God received you. Received one another. Partiality is inconsistent with loving your neighbor as yourself. You know, we talked about pure religion. And one of the marks that we said is pure religion looks upward to God. Well, if you're looking upward to God, you rarely will have time to look down on people. Are you looking up to God? And Apostle Peter, in 1 Peter 2.17, pretty much summarizes this entire sermon in one line. And I know you wish you probably had that one line, and that's it. It says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Honor all people. Every person is created in God's image. Love the brotherhood. That talks about us. Love your fellow believers. Fear God. Begin in the wisdom. This includes trust in him in all circumstances. Honor the king. Honor whom honor. We talked about that. And it goes beyond the church. It goes outside the church. We have to respect our authorities. So I'm going to close on that. I know I'm a little over. And we'll just look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time again we had around your word, for the power of your word to us. It has so much to say, so many things that I ask you, Lord, work in my own heart, and may it be that I do not sin with the sin of partiality. Help us as a church to love everyone the same, to be like-minded toward each other, one another, and receive one another with open arms Have you received us without partiality. Thank you that you are not a respecter of persons, that you are glorious awesome characteristics of eternal perfections that you are not partial. And help us, Lord, be like you. I also pray for the Barnett's family today, Father, and others who are going through sorrow and difficulties in their life. I ask that you be with them, give them peace in their hearts. And there's no words that we can imaginally say to them that will take the pain away. But you are the great comforter. And we ask that you, your hand be among their families and other families who are going through different difficulties that we may not know about. And may, and may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.